You are listening to the Grace Church of Mapton podcast. This week's sermon by Pastor Adam Copenhaver covers 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. Thanks for listening. All right, thank you, Cole. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. If you remember back a couple weeks ago, this was our sermon text, and we had his message then on the bulk of this passage. But we're coming back to it again today because we didn't have time two weeks ago to think through the very last verse of this chapter, which is quite an important uh, verse, the last verse. So the whole chapter is about love. That's what we talked about at length two weeks ago. But then you get that final verse, like I mentioned with the kids in verse 13, where the Apostle Paul says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. He's talking about love on the whole, but then he adds in faith and hope and that these three remain. So you may remember if you've been kind of following along through our sermons as we've been going through this book, 1 Corinthians, you may remember that in this part of the letter, chapters 12, 13, and 14, the Apostle Paul here, he is writing about spiritual gifts, if you read that whole section of the letter. And in this Corinthian church, you may remember that the church has a lot of problems, They're getting a lot of things wrong, and they're getting spiritual gifts wrong as well. Paul is correcting them for their misunderstanding, their misuse of spiritual gifts. And the problem that we've seen is that they are making too much of spiritual gifts. They're they're boasting, they're prideful boasting about who has the better spiritual gifts. Who's more spiritual than who? Who can do more and better things to follow Jesus than someone else? And they've turned it into kind of a competition with one another. And so Paul's correcting this in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And here in chapter 13, Paul says, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how gifted you are or what incredible kinds of things you can do, spiritual things for Jesus. He says, and this is what we saw two weeks ago, he says in this chapter, all those kinds of things, those spiritual acts and gifts and all that, they're all going to one day pass away when Jesus returns. So he says now in the final verse, but here's what really matters. Here's what will count for all eternity. Here's what we should really be focused on as Christians and hold on to because these things will remain. And then he says three things. These things, these three abide or remain. And what are they? Faith, hope, and love. And then he says, and the greatest of these is love. Love. That's right. Yes. So that's our message for today. We want to reflect today just on those three things, faith, hope, and love. And you can see we have an outline for today. It's up here on the screen. It's also in your bulletin if you want to follow along. And we'll look at each of these three things, faith, hope, and love, and and kind of have one primary thing that I'll say about each of the three. And the first about faith, we'll talk about faith and how faith needs an object. We'll talk about what that means. Then second, we'll talk about hope, that hope needs a reason. We'll talk about what that means as well. And then third and finally, the greatest one, love. And we'll talk about how love needs a community. And I hope what we'll see is that all three of these, faith, hope, and love, they actually work together and build upon each other. Faith leads to hope, and hope leads to love, and hopefully we'll kind of see how that works. Okay, so let's first talk about faith, and that faith needs 
an object. So what do we mean by faith? Paul just throws the word into this list and doesn't say much more about it. The word, the word itself means to believe, to believe. And in our world around us today, we often find people talking about believing or having faith, but often these words are used in a very generic or undefined way. And so maybe if you're like a sports fan, or if you're on a sports team, or you have a team that you like to cheer for, you might say, especially if the season kind of takes a little bit of a turn for the worse, you might say something like, we've just got to keep the faith. We've just got to keep on believing, if you've heard that kind of language before. And I've got some friends who cheer for some teams where it takes a lot of believing to keep on believing based on how, I've got a friend who's a Cleveland Browns fan, you know, so anyway, that's the kind of language that they especially will use. Or maybe you remember the old song by a band named Journey, and I don't know the song other than this chorus, don't stop believing. Da, 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 da. And so I, was, so I actually went and looked, like, what is the da 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 what, what are we not supposed to stop believing? Because I, didn't, I couldn't remember the rest of the song. So I went and looked up the lyrics, and I read all of the lyrics. And would you, would you be surprised to know, maybe you won't be surprised to know, that I couldn't figure out from all the lyrics what we're supposed to keep on believing. It's kind of, and maybe there's like a hidden message somewhere that I just couldn't quite decipher. Some of you who actually listened to that music in, its in that time, maybe you can explain that to me later. It's like in the 70s or something like that. Some, some ancient old song. Don't stop believing. Believe in what? Keep on believing. Believing what? Faith needs an object here. And especially in scripture, faith needs an object. You have to believe in something. Believe in someone. And everyone has an object. When we talk about keep believing, keep faith, whatever, everyone has an object, what they're believing in, whether we recognize or identify or say what the object is or not. And if you want to know what it is that you believe in, one thing you can ask yourself is, what is the most important thing in my life? What's at the center the thing that matters to me more than anything else, that drives me more than anything else. Who or what do I turn to, to give me guidance, to give me direction, to keep me going? And I suspect, I could be wrong on this, but I suspect one of the reasons perhaps in our world today, many people want to talk about faith or belief without giving the object is because if they were honest, the answer to what are we supposed to keep believing the answer is you got to keep believing in myself, in me, that I am the most important thing in life. I am at the center of life. And because of that, we say things like, anything is possible if you believe in yourself. Stay true to who you are. You have what it takes. Follow your dreams. Just work hard enough and you can accomplish whatever you want. It's graduation season, and these are the kinds of things that we say to graduates. All of these are, in one way or another, expressions of faith, with me at the center. I define what is true. I guide my own life. What do you suppose the Apostle Paul means, though, in our text, 1 Corinthians 13, when he throws this word faith in as one of the most important three things for us as Christians? 
Now here he doesn't say much more about it, but we know this is a very common word all throughout Scripture. And throughout the Bible, faith has a very clear object. Faith is about trusting in God. God is the object of our faith throughout the Bible. We look to God, we put him at the center, we trust in him. Lots of passages we could look at, some of them fairly familiar ones, like Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We might be prone in our world today to say, trust in yourself with all your heart and always follow your own understanding. But in scripture, that flips that. Trust is in an object of being a person outside of yourself in God. He is the object of your faith. Your understanding comes from him. And more specifically, especially when we get to the New Testament, the object of faith is not just God, but it's his son, Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus. The what do we believe as Christians? What do we believe? It centers around the story of Jesus. What we call the gospel, that Jesus is Lord, that he's died for our sins on the cross. He's raised from the dead on the third day. He now lives forever in heaven. He reigns as Lord. This is what we believe. And if you remember all the way back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, did, did this sermon series have a start somewhere like, I don't know, last year sometime? Way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is where the Apostle Paul started. He reminded these Christians, this is what you believe. It's in our Lord Jesus Christ. You heard the good news. You repented of sins. You put your faith in him. And now here when we get to chapter 13, Paul reminds them, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith in God is one of the three most important things that you have as a Christian. This is what counts. So hold on to your faith, he says. That's what matters more than the spiritual gifts, the great things you do for Jesus. All those are important too, but faith is what, what matters. So faith has to have an object and it raises this simple question of who is the object or what is the object of your faith? Do you trust, believe, put your confidence in Jesus or is your faith in yourself or something else? So faith in Jesus, that's what Paul's talking about here. And then when we have faith in Jesus, it leads us to hope. And this takes us to our second point that hope needs a reason. Hope needs a reason. So let's think about hope now, the second thing in, in our list, faith, hope, and love. Hope needs a reason. Here's, here's what we mean by hope. Here's a simple definition of hope. Hope means having confidence that things will get better. It's confidence that things will get better, that tomorrow will be better than today. And our hope, if we think about this, our hope is directly connected to our faith. We look at whatever it is that we believe in, whatever we've made the most important thing in our life, we look to that thing to give us hope. And so if we put our faith in ourselves, then where do we look for our hope? We look to ourselves for our hope. My confidence that things will get better is only as great as my confidence that I can make things better, that I'll make things better tomorrow than they are today. Not too long ago, I was at an event where 
several high school students were invited to give speeches at this event, and they could give a five-minute speech on the topic of their choice. And so I sat through a number of speeches from different high school students, and there was a pattern that began to develop between all their speeches. These students, in each of their speeches, or many of the speeches, picked something and described something that is wrong with the world. And they picked big things. Racism, sexual assault, mental health, suicide, sexuality, transgenderism, oppression. These were the topics of their speeches. They, they, they spoke about these topics. This is what's wrong with the world. They spoke passionately about how bad this problem was that they were talking about. And then they gave their attempt at a solution. How are things going to get better? And in every solution, in every speech, the solution was themselves. They were going to, and this is, this is why we love young people, right? They're going to fix these problems by giving speeches, by being activists, being active or activists in some sort, protesting, lobbying for change. They talked in their speeches about people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks, that they're going to make the world a better place tomorrow than it is today. Now, on the one hand, I don't know about you, but as I listen to speeches like that, on the one hand, we kind of want to celebrate their passion, their ambition. But it's also, in a sense, it was very sad listening to this because they're giving these passionate speeches about things they care so deeply about. And yet you could look around, even in that room at that time, look at the people listening to these speeches, and already you could see that most people in the room just shrugged their shoulders. Meh. One, one of these students literally called upon people in the room to join her in marching for her cause. And I looked around the room, and I'm pretty confident, based on my read of the room, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident not one person was going to get up and join her in her march. Hope is the confidence that things will get better. If the best reason we have for hoping things will get better is me, that I am going to make things better, then it's a setup for discouragement, especially when we're talking about huge global problems. It's connected to faith. If my faith is in me, I'm the most important, most central, most powerful thing in the world, then I look to myself for hope. I've got to make the world better tomorrow. That's on me. And then if things don't get better, what hope do I have now? Where will I turn? And so I listened to those speeches and I thought, no wonder there's a mental health crisis among youth today. No wonder there's so much anxiety. Look at the pressure they're putting on themselves to fix everything that's wrong with the world. No wonder there's even depression so widespread. How can there not be when our best hope is in ourselves? Hope needs a reason. Have hope. Why? This is not a very good reason for having hope. Where else can we look to for hope? politicians or political movements. I think it was, I was trying to do the math. I think it was about 17 years ago today that a politician had an entire campaign based on hope and change. And yet I'm not sure how many people think that that hope has been realized 17 years later. So we look to government 
as our source of hope? Is that the reason why things will get better tomorrow than today? That's a disappointment. It has been all throughout history disappointing. Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Oh boy, I hope there's something better than Obi-Wan Kenobi out there. What about us as Christians? What, what's Paul talking about in the passage? What's our hope? What's the reason for our hope? We used to sing a song way back when I was in youth group, Hope Has a Name, Jesus. That was the song, Hope Has a Name, Jesus. Our hope is as big as our faith. When our faith is in Jesus, then we find hope in Jesus. What has God promised through Jesus? He's promised that he is making the world better and he will make the world better. He promises a coming day when Jesus will return in glory and fix everything that is wrong in the world. The biggest problems, death itself, will be fixed once and for all. All who have faith in him will be raised from the dead to have life like Jesus, never to die again. That good news of our resurrection hope, our future hope, that's coming in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, by the way. You can look forward to that. Mark your calendars. We're going to get to chapter 15, and it's all about the resurrection. Then in that future day when Jesus returns, the book of Revelation describes how Jesus will make everything new in that day. He'll put an end to all pain and all suffering in the world. No more sin, no more death, no more injustices, no more oppression, no more consequences of sin, no more tears. And we'll be with God face to face, sit at a table in the kingdom of heaven and feast with Jesus for all eternity and eternal light and peace and joy. This is our future in Christ in scripture. So we have faith in Christ that becomes hope for us. Do we as Christians have a reason for believing things will get better? Yes. Yes, we do. And so we as Christians, we say, name a problem in your life. What is your biggest problem in your life? God promises it will get better, that he will fix it one day through Jesus. Name a problem in the world in your opinion, what is the biggest problem in the world? God promises he'll fix it one day through Jesus. And until the day when he does that final work of fixing it once and for all, God promises that he's present with us, that he cares for us, has compassion with us in the pains and hardships of life, that he's at work in, his life, in our lives by his spirit, that he gives us hope, peace, joy, in the midst of a broken world. There's another passage in a, the Apostle Paul will write another letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. In chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, it's a really good chapter to go home and read, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But the Apostle Paul describes in chapter 4 how he says that he has in him the life of Jesus, that we have the life of Jesus inside of us. So even when we are suffering hardship in the world, even when we are wasting away because of our afflictions, the Apostle Paul says all of those afflictions are, and these are his words, light and momentary, he says, because Jesus is preparing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs those afflictions. He's saying, put it, put it in the scales here. 
your afflictions, the things that are wrong in your life and in the world, put them on the scale over here. Then over here, put what God has promised us in Christ, eternal glory, and all that entails, put it on the scale over here. And Paul says, look at the imbalance. Look how much greater the eternal glory is. Those afflictions, they're light, they're momentary. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is why we're full of life, full of hope, even in the midst of hardship and pain and suffering. We have a reason for our hope, our confidence that things will get better. So hold on to your hope in Jesus, Paul says to the Corinthians. This is what counts, faith, hope, faith in an object, in Jesus, hope. It has a reason because of the promises God has made in Jesus. So faith and hope. And then he says, when you have faith and hope, now we have the grounds for love. And this takes us to our third point then, love, and that love needs a community. Chapter, the whole chapter, chapter 13, again, it's all about love. And so Paul naturally says here at the end that the greatest of these three things, faith, hope, and love, is love. Here's a definition for us of love. Love, here's kind of a simple way of saying it. Love means giving of ourselves for the sake of others. It's giving of ourselves for the sake of others. This is what we talked about in length, at length a couple weeks ago in our sermon on chapter 13. This is what Paul's description of love is all about. It's all about me doing what is best for you. Me seeing your needs and then taking from what I have, sacrificing what I have in order to give to you, to help you, to care for you. Love is about giving for the sake of others. And that's why when we read chapter 13, we see all the things Paul says about love, that it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not rude, it does not insist on its own way and so on. It's because when I love, my focus is on you, not me. And my focus is on how I can do what is best for you, rather than how you can do what I want for me. Now, if that's our definition of love, that it is about doing what is giving of myself for the sake of you, then we can put the pieces together with faith and hope and see how this works together. Can I love you, or I'm doing what is best for you, putting you ahead of me, if my faith, the object of my faith, is in me? If you follow my logic here, if, if my faith is in me, then I'm saying I am the most important thing in the world. I'm at the center. So I need everything else and everyone around me to serve me, because I live to serve me. That's the opposite of love. And if my hope is in me, then I am in charge of making things better in the world. And how am I going to do that? That means I need to control people and circumstances around me. If I'm going to fix the world and do that work myself, then I'm going to have to change you. I'm going to have to get you to do what I want, what I need you to do. Get you to live on my terms. It's the opposite of love. It's the opposite of patience and kindness of what Paul says. Love does not insist on its own way, he says in chapter 13. It's not arrogant. 
So if you follow that, if, if, if we put our faith and our hope in ourselves, then I am forced not to love people. I'm forced to get you to live on my terms, impose myself on you. And then, of course, you can see what would happen. What if your faith and hope is in yourself and you're trying to do the same to me? Control me, get me to live on your terms, and so on. We can see we're set up for a lot of conflict, a lot of hostility and frustration and division. Isn't that what we see in our world today? How often do we hear people lament, oh, the world is so full of hate. People are so divided and angry. Why can't we all just love one another? Well, why can't we all just love one another? Here's at least part of that answer. Because we put our faith in ourselves and we put our hope in ourselves. And as long as we have our faith and our hope in ourselves, we cannot love one another. But what if our faith is in God and our hope is in Christ? For us as Christians, when I put my faith in God, I'm surrendering my life, saying I am no longer the most important thing in my life. God is. This world belongs to him. It's about him and about his work. And what is the nature of God in scripture? Well, one of the most central things the Bible tells us about God is that God is love. He is a God who shows love. It's in his very nature, his very being. Even before he created the world, there was the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loving one another. When he created us, he did so in love. When he sent Jesus Christ, it was because he so loved the world. And Jesus came, he's our perfect example of love. He calls us to love one another. Then he gives us the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit at work doing in our lives? What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Okay, kids, Galatians chapter 5, fruit of the Spirit song. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut, right? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Nailed it. Yeah, you got all nine of them. Nice work, Zeke. Okay, and what was the first one? Love. What's the first thing the Holy Spirit produces in us? Love. This is what God is. This is who God is. This is what he does. This is what he does in us. And so now we put our faith in God. We make him the most important thing in our lives. We put our hope in Jesus. He is the one who is going to make the world a better place. He's the one who's at work in my life doing that work. And so now I am set free. If you follow this, I am set free to love. I don't need to fix or change other people. I don't need you to live on my terms as, as if I am the most important thing. I am simply free to love you. Now I'm free to think about what is best for you. To be patient with you, knowing God is at work in you, in his time. I can be kind. I don't need to boast because I know I'm not the biggest thing in the world. God is. His is the glory. I'm his servant. I can rejoice with you. I can suffer alongside you, help you, and serve you. And even if, in some situations, even if you don't love me in return, even if you're my enemy, I can still love you because my hope is not in you loving me back. My hope is in Jesus. My faith is in God, and I trust him with those things, and he'll fix it. He'll make it right. One day I can just keep on 
loving you. So the Apostle Paul says this is the greatest of the three, love. It's the culmination of the three. You can only love when you have faith and hope. And as Christians, we have the three. We have faith, we have hope, we have love. And the Apostle Paul says this is what's important. Keep your eyes on it. Hold on to it. Work it out. Put it to work among you. And when you do that, as a church, this is the kind of love then. Love becomes what defines us as a church. And this is where love needs a community. Love is just not something I can do alone at home in my own heart. It's not just a feeling I have in me. If love is about giving myself for the sake of others, then it draws me together with others who share the same faith, who share in the same hope, people who can love and be loved together, a community of love. And that's what the church is, a community of love where I love you and you love me. I give of myself for your sake, you give of yourself for my sake. We're servants of one another. We're growing in love together. That's the ultimate expression of our Christian faith, Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 13. And then what happens when we as Christians come together as the church and we grow in faith and hope and it produces this kind of love and we grow in love among us, then what happens when we take that kind of love back out into our world? When we love our community around us in this way, out of our faith, out of our hope, when we love our neighbors, our friends, our family, our coworkers in a generous, self-giving way, how unusual is this? How unlike anything else in the world? And now those same people who look around at the world say, why is there so much hate? Why can't people just get along and love one another? Well, here we are, as Christians, and we have the answer. Where does love come from? Why do we love in the way we do? It comes from faith in God, because faith needs an object. It comes from our hope in Jesus, because hope needs a reason. And then we are free to love. The greatest of these is love. These, things, these three things remain, Paul says. Here's what counts. Faith, hope, love. The greatest is love. It's the ultimate expression of our faith and hope in Jesus. And there's nothing more important for us as Christians than that we love one another. And so may these three attributes be true of us and of our church, Grace Church of Mapton, that we would be known more than anything else for our faith in God, our hope in Jesus Christ, and our love for one another. And then may God use us to bring this same faith, this hope, this love to our world that so desperately needs it. Amen. This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mapton. For more information, visit our website at mapptongbc.org.